on Wednesday nights, we were in our fifth, we just finished our fifth week of the study of the book of Revelation. And so if you're joining with us this Wednesday, uh, you want to read uh, chapter 14, 15, and 16 of the book of Revelation. If you've been following both of those, whether it's online, I know we've had a number of hits online as well. Um, the book of Daniel coinciding with the book of Revelation is really a phenomenal transference of anointing and revelation. So Lord, I pray right now that you would get me out of the way, Lord, and just let me be the glove on your hands that speaks, the mouthpiece, Lord, that just brings revelation to your people. Wherever they sit in the earth, Lord, I pray for revelation, that spirit of wisdom and revelation that equips us and makes us wise. And we thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, let me just give a quick summary for those. It's, uh, last week, Pastor Willie came. And don't you love when we get together? And Pastor Willie was so clear, you know, God is always right. <laughs> He's God and we're not. He can, it was a good, good message and fits with all of uh, what we've been sharing. The title, again, uh, the people whose names are written in the book will be rescued. That's out of Daniel 12. We'll also see that in Revelation chapter 3. In part 1, a few weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 39.7, where he prophesied to King Hezekiah, because of the sin of the nation, this is prophesied in 700 BC, he said, your descendants will be carried away, Hezekiah, to Babylon. Well, 70 years later, the prophet Jeremiah comes on the scene in Jeremiah 25, 11. He narrows down the prophecy. And he says, yeah, not only are you going to be carried away by Babylon into captivity, it's going to last exactly 70 years. We know that took place. Then 100 years later, in 530 BC, the prophet Daniel has been carried away into captivity. He's in Babylon, and he's now serving in the king's court. So, we see that this is Daniel. He gets the prophecy, not, of, not only of, ne of Nebuchadnezzar's, the king of Babylon's dream that he interprets, which then gives him tremendous favor. But then we also see Daniel has several dreams. Have you ever uh, watched a movie more than once? And you're like, you see first movie, it's like, yeah, it was really good. I like it so much. And you see it again, and you see it again. It's like, and pretty soon the picture, you almost use it even in conversation time. Did you ever see the movie where in that scene, right? That's exactly what's going on here in the book of Daniel. Daniel gets the, the, first, Nebuchadnezzar says to his warlocks and his mediums and psychics, I had a disturbing dream. You tell me what my dream is and interpret it. And they said, well, nobody can do that. You've got to tell us first, and then we'll tell you. He goes, no. He says, you know, what good are you? Kill all these guys. So Daniel says, he gets together, the Jewish young boys, he says, we need to pray and fast. The Lord downloads the vision of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He goes and tells the king exactly what the dream is. Well, then we find out later, because Daniel serves for over 80 years in captivity. Probably brought there as a, as, a, as a teenager. We'll see that. You can see that in the book of Daniel. And it also, he was probably made a eunuch. There's no indication he ever married. He served all the kings, not, not only the king of Babylon, and his son, Belshazzar, remember the writing on the wall? The last night, they're getting in a drunken party, and the descendant of King Nebuchadnezzar is there, and they, they're having this, they got all the amulets and everything from the temple of God that they carried off, and they decide to have a party. God doesn't like it when you defile 
his holy things. And so there's the handwriting on the wall. Belshazzar's mom says, we don't know what this means, um, but there's a guy who served your daddy. His name was Daniel. So they go find Daniel in the kingdom, bring him in. He, he interprets it, says, you're going to lose your kingdom even tonight. Exactly. We know by history, that's exactly what happened. The Medes and Persians, they drain the moat, they come under the wall, and they kill them that night and take over the kingdom. That's the end of Babylon as a world power, and the Medes and Persians come in power. Daniel now serves the king. Darius comes in. He's now the king of the Medes and Persians. They realize, who is this? And that's the one where Daniel ends up in the lion's den because the other warlocks and mediums and psychics are jealous they set Daniel up. They know that if he doesn't worship the image, which he won't, right, then they'll throw him in the lion's den. And that's exactly what happens. The king fasts all night, avoids all his parties, goes there in the morning and says, Daniel, are you okay? Did your God save you? I'm here, king. He shut the mouth of the lion. Awesome. Then he grabs all the warlocks that set him up. They throw them and their kids and their family and says before they even hit the bottom of it, the lions ate them. Talk about being rescued, right? So... We saw that in part two, it's this whole chapter, but the next part of this, Daniel has the next, he sees the, the movie the second time, he sees a vision. We see this in Daniel chapter seven, and there's a revelation, and then Gabriel comes as Daniel is disturbed about what he sees. Can you imagine seeing the tribulation and not being disturbed? He says, it troubled him all night, and says, I was worried, and says, Lord, what does it mean? And he's praying and he's fasting because they're not returned yet to Jerusalem. He's still in captivity. He prays and fasts. God sends Gabriel, the announcing angel, and he de details the vision again in more and more detail. And it comes again in chapter 10 and 11. We see this. Daniel has seen this. But at that point, Gabriel says, Daniel, lock this up until later. So he doesn't share the details of that again until later in the book. So part two, we see this. Now in part three, we're going to look at, we'll pick up in part of chapter seven, and we're going to walk to the end. We're going to see God's timetable for the end of days. Daniel 70 weeks. We're going to unpack that. I think we have a good revelation of that. The rise of Antichrist, the Antichrist, Israel that is restored as a nation, the great tribulation, the rapture of the church, and the glorious second coming. And then the ruling of the kingdom by his saints forever and ever. This week, my wife pulled up uh, a friend we have, Miss Dard, from Israel. And she was declaring, pastors, it's time to preach about the second coming. Preach the second coming. She was spreading that all out. Okay, we are, you know. So I took that as confirmation. So let me, um, before we go there, remember how I've been sharing both on Wednesday night and Sundays pictures of what's going on in the earth right now. And we've been looking at some of the modern day stuff. I, I read you about the picture of the prophecy of the mark of the beast, where Israel has now put in place the, the coming of the cashless society. There'll be no more. They've already passed this as of January 1st, that uh, you'll, they'll start to eliminate all cash until you have, you have to have a credit card or some other form, no, no longer uh, you have to have a check or a credit card. But they're also working on the biometric mark. All of their citizens of Israel are going to be required to have a biometric mark in their passports. So we'll come there, they'll have your entire history. 
Where you work, what you made, where you were born, blah, blah, it's all there in a little chip. It'll be on your passport. And they're working towards that biometric mark. They're doing it for security reasons. But it is coming. We shared about the company in Wisconsin that already has a biochip inserted in their employees' hands between the thumb and the index finger. They come in and they can buy their goodies from the vending machine or they can unlock the door. It's here. And so we've been sharing. But as we look at these, Prophecy Watch has some uh, interesting things that I'd like to, if you've not seen that. Jim, if you could, or Daniel, if you could pull up the meeting that the Pope had this week. Actually, there were two meetings, but we'll look at the first meeting where he signed an interfaith covenant in February 8th in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. I want you to see what happened this week. The Pope decided that, and look, hear me out everywhere. I'm not critical of any denomination. I I may call out sin if I see it. Like if you're ordaining homosexuals, you're outside the book, okay? I will call that out, but I will also give credit when when the Pope goes and says, look, there's too much violence. What did he say in Matthew? Jesus in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, I think it's verse 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Now, if the Pope is, hey, look, we're trying to make peace. We don't need terrorism. But when you go beyond that, we need to have our eyes wide open about what's happening here. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, verse 42, Matthew 25, verse 13, Mark 13, 31, Luke 21, 36. Watch out. Keep your eyes open. Don't, you don't be asleep. Don't get drunken in parties. Be awake. Keep watch. When you start to see these things start to happen, know that it's right there. Well, in this interfaith covenant in Abu Dhabi, the United Arab Emirates, the grand imam of Sunni Islam, one of the highest ranking sheiks, Ahmed Al-Tayeb, and Pope Francis, in front of the global audience of other faith leaders from all these major faiths, and it was for peace, but it went way beyond advocating peace. Over and over again, the word God is used simultaneously to identify both Allah and all the other gods, Hindu gods, the Yahweh. They don't call them out. This is just God. And so in the diversity of religion, they came out, and this is from the Pope, God willed all these different religions. I don't see that as true. You can look it up. I'm not, you can, I'm, I'm not trying to give you anything I, don't, I read directly from what his quote was. That basically you conclude that it's acceptable. All religions are acceptable. Uh, hello? What about 1 John 2.23 or 1 John 5.12? Anyone who denies the Son denies the Father. He who has not the Son has not life. There is no life without the Son. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to, the, come to the Father except through the Son. We have to be careful in this ecumenical move. This feels a lot like the push towards one world religion. So we want to be, have our eyes wide open. Blessed are the peacemakers, but we will not be deceived by what sounds all good. No one wants terrorism or death or murder. That isn't in the book. So be careful. This sounds like the groundwork for one world religion. Then a couple of days later, the Pope flew to Dubai for the Global Unity Meeting on World Government Summit. 90 speakers, 150 countries. You don't hear this in our media, at least 
I mean, it's, it's all everything else, right? 150 countries, 4,000 attended. And the Pope, quote, we need sustainable development and solidarity. If you look at the United Nations points, of the 17 point, it's control of all human activities and it's a blueprint for one world government. Go on the United Nations website and look up his, the 17 point, the exact wording of that. Again, this is, um, looks like global religious unity and one world government. We need to be careful. Uh, we want peace, yes, but not at compromise, right? We will not water down the word of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and his sacrifice. This sounds like there's all different roads up to heaven. No, there is not. There's only one way. There's only one way. We'll never compromise on that. And so... If there was another way, why would he send his son to go through what he did? Anyway. Okay, pull out your handout. The people whose names are written in the book will be rescued. The prophet Daniel at 530 B.C. was given a prophecy of the end of days. Daniel was told the words of the scroll would be closed and sealed until the time of the end. Looking back now, 2,500 years, we have more insight and understanding of what the archangel Gabriel was revealing in chapter 8. The 12 chapters of Daniel start with the invasion of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, the 70-year captivity prophesied by Jeremiah. Daniel was likely the descendant of King Hezekiah, made a eunuch, carried away to Babylon to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's book reassures Israel their judgment in captivity is temporary and reveals the future antichrists like Antiochus Epiphanes, and the last Antichrist, the details of the prophets are amazing and concludes that the Antichrist being destroyed by the coming Messiah and the establishment of his kingdom forever and ever. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, it says, the concealed message is revealed to the wise. God judges, number one, God judges nations for their sin, but protects individuals who refuse to be defiled by that. We see that in every place throughout Scripture, right? We just read it, or Pastor Mike shared it about Paul and Silas, right? They're on a mission. Daniel, the children in the, in the Daniel in the lion's den, Alpha, Bishop shared in the opening this morning of the three boys in the fiery furnace. You're right. I wouldn't have. I would have kept him from the furnace. That would have been great. But isn't it a greater testimony to be the fourth man in the fire? And you see Nebuchadnezzar convert after that. It's like what in the world? God reveals His secrets. Number two, to those who seek Him, He reveals secrets. James says, "If you lack wisdom, ask Him." James one. So you got things that you're trying to sort out in your head. Ask the Holy Spirit. He reveals those secrets. The future kingdoms. That will be the superpowers. Remember, Daniel is looking from, the, from where he is looking forward. And then we have John in the book of Revelation. He's in the Roman Empire in prison, and he's looking back, and he's looking forward. And the, remember, this 66 books written over 2,500 years by all different authors and how it fits you and I could never get that right. If we did this telephone thing and we started over here with, with Richard, and he whispered to Esther and on down the line. By the time we got over here to Tom, it'd be like, what was that? We can't even get it right in the first row. This is the amazing gift of God revealed to us 
He wants us to know. He didn't, that's why when we stand before him, we will be without excuse. Don't tell me you didn't understand. I gave you sufficient information in the book for you to be delivered, for you and your family to be set free. If you didn't read it, you didn't seek it, you didn't want, it's not my fault. Right? And so it's time for us to in, in, just grab hold of these things. Turn off the social media. Get into it in Jesus' name. He then predicts the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, Alexander the Great, the Romans, and now all the nationalistic states and the one world government. When you have leaders in the European Union declaring, Angela Merkel that last fall declaring, give up your national sovereignty and give your sovereignty to the controls in Brussels. That's, she's one of the most influential leaders. When we see what's going on, we say, what is this trans opening of this door that's coming? Number four, the Antichrist of the last days. In chapter 7, the last great ruler of the world. John tells us that in 1 John. He says, many Antichrists has come, but the, the Antichrist has come. Paul tells us in 1B there, 4B it says, the, the man of lawlessness in Thessalonians. He wages war against the saints. The anointed one, speaking of Jesus in Daniel 7, the anointed one will be killed and Jerusalem will be destroyed. And it says, as if he didn't accomplish anything. Jesus hanging on the cross, the Jews probably, and Satan probably thought, well, we got to take care of that. Three days later, shock the tomb is empty, right? And so, wow, when we see what happens, is Daniel prophesies that. He sees it 500 years before Christ is even born. Come on, that ought to get you excited. This is real. It's like, yes, the blueprint. Number five, it says, the Ancient of Days takes his seat. I love this language. Court is in progress, and the king of glory sits down, and he comes in the court. Woo! And the books are opened. The books of life, the book of works. It says the book of truth. He says the book of truth is revealed. What language? I love that. And so it's like the ancient of days takes his seat. The, the son of God is revealed as the rock who crushes the earthly kingdoms. The Son, our Messiah, is given dominion, glory, kingdom, and He rules for and reigns forever. But I like in chapter 9, 7, 8, 9, 10, it's Daniel's 70 weeks and the revealing of the sequence of events. I'm going to show you where I believe we are today. Babylon comes, they destroy, they're sent to captivity. Look at number 3 there in 6, 3. I want you to see that it talks of Daniel's 70 weeks. So let's, let's turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 7. We'll pick up there. In Daniel 7, and we're going to start in verse 15. He's in the second movie session. <laughs> he, saw, he saw the Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's revelation was given to Daniel, speaking of the golden image and all the world powers that were to come. He reveals that, well, now Daniel has his own vision, and it is troubling on him, and he's like really troubled by it because the vision is then explained, picking up in Daniel 7, 15. I, Daniel, troubled by all that I had seen. The visions terrified me. So I approached the one that was standing beside the throne and asked him, what does it mean? He explained to me like this. These four huge beasts represent the four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. 
But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and will rule forever and ever. That would be a good place to say amen. Amen. (laughs) Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. He looks so different. Now, this is the Antichrist. He looks so different from the others, so terrifying. He devoured and crushed his victims with an iron teeth, the bronze claws, trampling the the remains beneath his feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head. This language, if you go to John's revelation in the book of Revelation, it consists about the little horn who's raised up among the ten kings in the last days. Let's skip down a little bit. It says, this horn seemed greater than the others. He had human eyes and a mouth, boasting arrogantly. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and defeating them. I don't like that scripture. That's why I want to be out of here on the first rapture out, right? Until the ancient one, the most high, came and judged in favor of his holy people. The time arrived for the holy people to to take over the kingdom. That's why we know it's the end. Then he said to me, this fourth beast is a fourth world power. See, there's only been three major world powers. We may be a superpower, but we're not a world power. There were three. There's one more coming during this time. Then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from the others. It will devour the world, trampling and crushing everything in its path. Verse 25, he will oppress the holy people of the Most High. Skip down and says, Verse 26, but when the court will pass judgment and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed, then the sovereignty, power, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people, the most high. They will last forever. The rulers will serve and obey him. Then that was the end of my vision. And I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts and my face was pale with fear, but I kept them to myself. Then we see Daniel's vision in chapter 8 of the ram and the goat. And again, it starts to unpack. This is the picture of another movie section, and it starts to reveal the Medes and the Persians. We know that the ram was the Mede and the Persians. The goat was the Greeks, Alexander. But the details are so... Remember, this hasn't happened yet. And so we see this, the the male goat in verse 5 of chapter 8. Suddenly the male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly. If you ever do a study on Alexander the Great, how he conquered so rapidly. But then at age age 32, he dies. They think, postulate probably poison. Then his two sons are assassinated. And the four generals divide his kingdom. Specifically prophesied here. This is, again, you're seeing it. So it's in his power he reached to the heavens. It says, the four promises, look at verse Eight, the goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. And in the large horn's place grew four prominent horns. There's his four generals. Then the one prominent horn became a small horn, whose power was great, extended south to east, the glorious land. He went, and it goes on. And after that, we see the prophecy of this rebellion that takes place. It prophesies of this Antichrist in 160 A.B. of I like to say his name. It's the Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a wicked character. It's the one that speaks of the abomination of desolation. He's the one of the king rulers who came in, conquered Jerusalem, and to defile the temple in Jerusalem, he takes a pig and slaughters it on the altar and brings God Zeus in the midst of the altar. And of course, God always has his remnant. 
he raises up the Maccabees, Justin Maccabees. And they, if you ever go to Israel and you study the, the IDF forces, the international defense forces of Israel, when they go and they study this, and it's the, yeah, they go to Masada, and they look at that and how they held out at Masada. And, of course, you know today the Israeli warriors that exist. Incredible story of the greatness of God in delivering his people. Well, we see in 8.15, Gabriel explains the vision in more detail. This is so uh, detailed. Looking back, when they unpack it, some of the people say, it's so detailed, it had to be written after the fact. How can the Holy Spirit not get it right? I mean, just come on. But when you start looking, turn the page and look in seven there, the nations of the world. I'm not going to take the time, but you can read through this, and it's clear that when you look at 7A through L, these are all of the specific people. Read through it. It's difficult when you look at chapter 9 and chapter 10. You say, who are these people? The king of the south, the king of the north. And when you start to unpack history, as some of the theologians have done, they start to identify exactly who these people are. The Greek ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes, who defiled the temple, spoken of there in chapter 11, verse 2. The Persian kings, I listed in there. The mighty king Alexander, who dies in the midst of his, 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 king, his, his power rise. The king of the south, Ptolemy of Egypt, and Seleucus of Nicodor, of, he was in Syria. you got the king of the north and the king of the south. Who is north of Israel? First, you got Syria, right? The Golan Heights. Then you got Turkey, and then you got Moscow. And we talked about that a, a few weeks back. We've also covered on Wednesday night. When the, in Ezekiel 38, right, 39, is that place where the, the, the kings of the north come against him and the alignment, we shared the alignment. Who right now is in Syria? Who's aligned in Syria with Assad? Russia? Iran? Right? And so you already got this alignment. It's like, okay. So if the king of the north comes against Israel and the king of the south is Egypt... Has not happened, but yet if you look at the war we spoke of in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that I believe could happen at any moment, when they're launching missiles into Israel from, the, from just into the Golan Heights to kill Israeli civilians like they did two weeks ago, and the Iron Dome took it out, we, we're sitting on the precipice of this. You got Russia boasting that they've got a supersonic missile now that can outsmart our defensive systems. And they've got us in the crosshairs. Putin said he's got us in the crosshairs. Come on. They've, they've violated the international treaty for um, the nuclear powers agreement. So Trump just pulled us out of that. When you start looking at this and you start looking at the kings and all of those things that are listed, they've got, they, he prophesied about Cleopatra who marries Ptolemy. If you ever remember some of your history from socialism, like, I remember those names, but I don't have a clue what they were. Stip there and look at some of this history, and you'll be amazed at how the prophet Daniel was given the word by Gabriel the archangel, I want you to write these down. My people will know when I give you details, I give you details. And so we see that. I want to go through the Daniel 70 weeks, though, for a minute. I want everyone to have a better understanding of that. So turn back to your front page there. Daniel 70 weeks, and let's pick up um, in 
we're going to take a look at Daniel 7. Look at verse, let's see here. I want to give you the details of that. In, um, in Daniel 70 weeks, look, turn to chapter 9, turn a couple of pages to 927. Gabriel gives a better understanding of to Daniel in the, second, in the third part of his watching the movie. It says, let's pick up in verse 21. So 921 says this, Daniel, as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I have seen in earlier visions, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. Interesting that he would come when he was praying. He explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was. See, Daniel said, I need to understand it. Have you ever been crying out for revelation? Well, God answers prayers. As you, the moment you prayed, I was given the command. That's from the throne room. And now I am here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so you can understand the meaning of your vision. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion and to put an end to their sin, to atonement for the guilt, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, the anointed one, comes to Jerusalem. It will be rebuilt, strong defenses, despite the perilous times. Now, right here, there is a departure, and we're into the future of what's coming. After this period, 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. Who's that? Jesus. Appearing to have accomplished nothing, and the ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. 70 AD, the Romans. They will come with a flood and a war and, and the discreet the time of the very end, the miseries decreed for that time. The ruler will be, make a treaty with the people of that period for another set of seven. But after half of his time, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offerings and as a climax to his terrible deeds, set up a sacrificial object that causes desecration until the fate is decreed for the defiler to finally be poured out on him. This is a quote by Jesus himself in Matthew 24, verse 15. When you see the desecration of the holy place, reader, pay attention. Jesus, this is not past tense. This is Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24, in Luke 21, in Mark 13, when he says, you see all these? They were all bragging about how beautiful the temple was, right? And Jesus says, not one stone will remain. And they're like, whoa, because that, when is that? He sits down and he tells them. And in Matthew 24, 15, he says, in the latter days, when the desecration of desolation comes, he quotes Daniel. This is the, the Antichrist. It wasn't the one that came right in 168 B.C. That was another one, Antiochus Epiphanes. 
but this Antichrist. So we see, what about these 70s? Let's try to unpack this. If you look at your handout there, in number two there, in, in uh, 6D2, the se- Daniel 70 years. Well, we know that Babylon is destroyed in Jerusalem, and 70 years of captivity occurs. The Hebrew word for seven here means units of seven or heptads or a group of sevens. That may sound crazy, but let's say this. When I say it's a dozen, you say a dozen what? A dozen eggs? A dozen what? A dozen pens? It depends. Contextually, what do you mean? A dozen what? And what they're saying here is there's a group of sevens that are going to come together, and it happens to be 70s of years. They're groups of seven of years. And so Daniel, at the bottom there, says the Hebrew word there meaning heptads. Daniel's 70 weeks are literally seven units of seven years or 490 years. Seven sevens of years is 49, right? Seven times seven. Remember, go, go back to your math class, right? Seven times seven is 49. Well, it turns out, remember King Cyrus? Isaiah prophesies 150 years before Cyrus is born that he is going to come on the scene and he's going to be the one that blesses Israel to go back and rebuild the, t- the second temple, right? Releases them to go do that. Well, guess what? From the time of that decree until the finishing of that construction is 49 years, exactly by history. King Cyrus decrees to Ezra and Nehemiah, it took 49 years to build the walls of Jerusalem. You can read that in Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai. Well, turn the page. Number five there says, 62 sevens, 434 years are the time of silence until John the Baptist. And then what happens after John the Baptist? We see the anointed one is killed, and it looks like nothing was really accomplished except if you're a believer, and you know a lot was accomplished from the world's point of view and all the clouds that are there. We see this. So 62 sevens have passed. That only leaves one set of seven, the seven-year tribulation, which is coming. So we know that this is the time to get ready the tribulation and the rapture. You know, we're reading uh, Tom, Tim LaHaye's book, right? Revelation Unveiled on Wednesday nights. And that, I agree with a whole lot of what he shares. I mean, a lot of it is, is contextual, but it, it seems to fit in many places. And everybody agrees this seven-year period is about to come. Well, I won't go through all of the number seven there. All those two, you can look at that. But there are two. Let's look at L for a minute. There are two abominations of def- desolations. The one that took place in 160 B.C., and then the final Antichrist. And I've listed there, that is listed in, if you look at L.B., what do you got, L.B., that's interesting, okay. Um, the final Antichrist that Jesus prophesied in Daniel 12, verse 11, Matthew 24, 15, Mark 13, 14. And yet there are these faithful remnants, the Jews of the Masada and the Jews of today. So where are we in this sequence, the time of the end? We know in number eight there, the time of the end, there is a demarcation in Daniel chapter 11, beginning in verse 35 there, where he's speaking of the last set of seven that will take place. And this coincides with John's revelation. Remember where this halftime, look at, you're looking at uh, Daniel um, chapter nine. 
He makes a treaty with the people of God in verse 27. So the Antichrist makes a treaty. This coincides with what you see in Revelation. In the seven-year period, halfway to the, rebel, rebel, the tribulation hour, he makes a, a, an agreement and he breaks it. Now, I, we postulated that on Wednesday night, let's say that there really is a nuclear exchange that takes place. The rabbi that I deal with, he believes the Ezekiel 38-39 war is imminent. And over one quarter of the world is destroyed in nuclear fire. What would happen the next day in the United Nations when, one, the nuclear blast goes off and it's carried by the nuclear winds and maybe dark for about six months? And the nuclear winds, when I was in the nuclear service, submarine, we had monitors. We had to monitor people coming in and off the site because when you're on a nuclear submarine, you don't want contamination in the wrong place. A guy comes through the, the monitor, and my technicians, the alarm goes off at the main gate, coming in the main gate. We all, my techs run there. They got their meters. We figured this all. He says, this is crazy, boss. We're finding U-238 contamination on this guy. We don't have U-238. We don't have that kind of contamination in that, on that submarine like that. And so we put him in a whole body counter, and through a series of blood work and all, we find out he's got U-238 in his bones. And we're like, what in the world? Where? So then we do, where have you been? Where have you gone? What are you doing? Were you in the meltdown in, in Russia? Where, turns out, no, he's, I'm a big hunter. I go up into Canada, and I hunt caribou. I live on caribou a lot, really. Come to find out, remember when there was nuclear testing in the atmosphere, which was banned? The Russians did it. We did it. Well, what happened when you do a nuclear blast, even in the island, it goes up into the atmosphere. It's carried by the nuclear winds, the winds, and it's rain, and it rains out. Well, guess what? That contamination finds its way into places where it concentrates. And the lichen in Canada was one of the places where the rains and the temperature dropped that rains of nuclear stuff, and the caribou come and they eat the lichen. And then you eat the caribou, and it gets into your bones. Well, if that war happens, and this thing goes down, you can bet the next day, we got all these people dead, we, the United Nations, we need, to, we need to get together, we need to stop this stuff. This is crazy. There is, well, one guy will emerge, let's bring peace. This crazy has got to stop. And let's make a covenant, agreement. You may not be able to see it right now, but I can see it right there. If that were to occur, that's why the rabbis are saying, you better watch what's going on. And so you could see this unfolding. This could happen very, very rapidly. What's taking place right now, the pace of this is rapidly increasing. It's all set. So whether the rapture happens first, the war happens, I don't know. But be ready. Jesus said it. Seven or eight times. Be ready. Watch out. Don't be caught aware. Don't you be asleep. Don't get drunk. Get ready. Get ready. Watch out. Don't be caught unaware. Come on, this is, this is serious. When he says it, he's not stuttering. When this generation sees these things start to happen, you better be awake. For your children's sake, you better be awake. You can be saved in the tribulation, but you don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want my children here. Anyone that I love, I don't want you here. The time of the end. 
he then jumps and says, the Antichrist will be revealed at that moment, and it's going to look really good. Peace, peace, safety, safety, yeah, everything's good. Three and a half years into this, he says, okay, and the false prophet arises. We were studying this in Revelation last week. This false religious leader who then says, it's time to worship this great peacekeeper. And they form an image. I don't know if it's artificial intelligence. I don't know if it's demonic. I don't know. But there's enough there right now to say this could happen. And it says it draws them into this one world religion. Not only do we need to get together as nations because we got to control all this stuff. We can't be killing each other. But we also need one world religion. And there's the deception. And it's set. The stage is set. You got the United Nations. You got the world group of churches. You got these covenants being signed. It says the Antichrist will rise at that point and he will be defeated. In the middle of that tribulation, and it says, now let's turn to chapter 12 of Daniel and we'll land this thing. The time of the end, Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael the archangel, now he's the fighting angel. He's the one we saw previously in Daniel. He comes and fights the the demon over the prince, fighting with the prince of Persia over Iran. The spiritual warfare that's happening over Iran right now. Those that are trying to destroy the holy people. They chant regularly, kill, destroy the United States and destroy Israel. That demon that controls that nation... Michael engages him back in the chapter. He does it again. He also engages the prince of Persia. In fact, Gabriel says, I got to go back and help in the fighting against the prince that is over Greece. This is that spiritual warfare. He says, at that time, the archangel stands guard over your nation, Daniel, will rise. There will be a time of anguish greater than ever since the nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is in the book will be rescued. Many of those peoples whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up to everlasting life. Many believe there's a second rapture of those Old Testament saints who were faithful. Again, I'm just reading there, it says, they will rise to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting disgrace. The great white throne judgment that we'll talk about coming in the next couple of weeks on Wednesday night. This is that great white throne judgment. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret and seal up the book until the time of the end. Many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. Uh, we've been on a trajectory, right? I heard, the latest I heard was knowledge is doubling every 22 months. You wonder how these iPhones go from one year to the next, like, bloop, 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 bloop. we used to carry pagers. Now I carry this thing that can give me answers to everything I don't even want to know, right? Then I, Daniel, verse 5, I looked and I saw two others standing on the opposite banks of the river. One of them asked the man dressed in linen who was now standing above the river, how long will it be until these shocking events are over? The man dressed in linen who was standing above the river raised both hands towards heaven and took a solemn oath by the one who lives forever, saying, it will go on for a time, a times, and a half times. That's three and a half years. When the shattering of the holy people has finally come to an end, and all these things that will have happened, and I heard what he said, 
I do not understand what it meant. So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? Many believe this is the Lord himself speaking to Daniel above the river. He said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is to be kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, cleansed, refined by the trials, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. Only those who are wise will know what it means. For the time the daily sacrifices stop, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up in worship. There will be 1290 days. Blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1335 days. Commentaries here, again, are split. This time frame goes past the seven-year tribulation. Many believe during those days is the great white throne judgment where the dead who've never received Christ are brought to the court and they are judged. As for you, verse 13, go your way until the end. You will rest and then at the end of days you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. When we look at this, I want to just conclude with this scripture. Why don't you turn with me to Luke 21. Luke 21. And let's just look at this whole thing is Jesus in verse 5 to the end prophesying about the future. But in verse 34, after Jesus tells them all of what's going to take place, the signs that come, he shares in verse 7, that every stone gets thrown down, that's 70 A.D. So they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, he told them that. He said nations would go to war, there would be earthquakes and there would be famines. Then there would become this time of great persecution, verse 12. People will betray one another and hatred will rise. Doesn't it seem like hatred's on the rise? And that the love of many is growing colder and colder? We, by these these cell phones and the social media, we are bombarded statistically. We see more negativity between the news media and our phones in one month than my grandparents saw in their entire lifetime. You wonder why there's depression and anxiety and fear and suicide and all that crazy? There's such a a spirit of darkness descending. So we have to guard our hearts. He says, guard your heart, right? Be careful. He goes on, he says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, in verse 20, you'll know that the time of destruction has arrived and the time of God's vengeance. Boy, that's Revelation 4 through 19. God's vengeance in Revelation poured out. It will be terrible. Never will there be a time like this again. Strange signs in the sun and the moon, roaring seas, strange tides, terrified by what they see coming. Everything will be shaken so that when all things can be shaken, it's interesting, today was that message, everything that can be shaken, the foundations that will be shaken. But then he says, in verse 32, 31 says, all these things taking place, you'll know when you see them, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until you see all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear. My words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let the day catch you unaware. 
like a trap. For the day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these things coming, the horrors, and stand before the Son of Man. Let me say it again. Pray that you might be strong enough to escape the coming horrors. King James says it this way. Watch, therefore, pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. Turn back to Revelation 3.20, and I'll end, really end. (laughs) Revelation 3.20, I'm sorry, Revelation 3.10. He spends, remember he talks to the church age, goes through all the ages right up to this point. And now we believe we're in the church of Laodicea. The church is asleep. The people that are falling away, the number of people leaving the faith now, no longer standing in church, no longer caring about it. We're in that place. Timothy was warned by Paul. He says, verse 10, to the church at Philadelphia, 310, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. So let's stand. I know this is heavy. I, I just, it's been on my, it's been burning in me to have all of y'all hear what I believe is a, a now word that we're to be raised. No more game time. It's really time. Nobody's sitting on the bench anymore. We're all in the game. It's time to share and witness and testify. It's time to be pulling on the rope of the kingdom. I want to invite our ministry team, those who have been trained to come. And there may be some here this morning that the word can really cut. It says in... Uh, in, in that Hebrews 12, it says the word of God is full of living power and it's able to cut between the soul and the spirit realm. So in the soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, there can be this disturbance. When you get cut by the word, the Holy Spirit can draw you into a place where you need to come to repentance. And I don't, the Lord is so forgiving, right? He, if you failed in a number of times, maybe repeatedly, Today's a really good day to start over. This is the day. If you've never given your life to Christ, man, you want your name in the book. (laughs) It has to be in the book. The only way you do that is to acknowledge that He's the Son, that He came and He died for us, paid for the penalty of my sin, that He was raised from the dead on the third day and is coming again as the glorious Savior. If we will do that, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9 and 10. So, Lord, let's just not rush off here. If you're being convicted of, I messed up, and I, and I just want to have somebody pray with me. I want to get free of anything that's hindering. He says, if two of you will agree, there's life and death in your tongue. If you will confess that, to one of my brothers and sisters. There's power. Confess your sins one to another that you might be saved, healed, and delivered, James says. But if you have pride, I don't want to tell anybody my stuff. What will they think of me? You need to forget that. 
we're all sinners. And there isn't anybody here that would not, on this ministry team, that would not love to pray with you. We are, do not focus on your past. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind in Philippians, I press towards the mark of the high calling. Paul says, I, I don't say I've arrived. I haven't. Paul said, forget the past. What about the future? What about your call? Where are you going? Where's your dream? Lord, I pray no one will leave this place that has not humbled themselves. James 4 says, if you will humble yourselves before God and draw close to Him, He will draw close to you. And then you can resist the devil and he will flee. He also goes on and says, Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. So let's put aside all the pride and let's just humble ourselves and say, look, we're a family and there's nobody in here that's holier than thou. We're all in this place. It's level ground at the cross. Lord, I pray that no one will leave this place that hasn't accepted Christ as Savior, ask for forgiveness and repentance for the brokenness of our failures of loving ourselves more than loving God, and then, Lord, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Our flesh is not, is not strong enough. That's why he said, both in chapter 8 of Acts and chapter 19 of Acts, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? In Acts 19, the believers there in Ephesus told Paul, no, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. He said, well, then what did you experience? What baptism? John's baptism. They were water baptized. They were believers but they had not received. It says, Paul laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd come and you bring a conviction right now to every heart, every mindset, everything that's stronghold of the enemy. I bind it right now in Jesus' name. I take authority over all of that darkness, confusion, pride, self. God, I pray that you just release an anointing that your people would come in such a presence of humility. He said, God, I need you. I can't do it without you, God. He says, ah. Luke 11 says, if evil fathers can give good gifts to their children, how much more would the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Come and ask the Father. With one of my brothers and sisters, I need the Holy Spirit. I can't, I can't beat this addiction. I can't beat this lying. I can't seem to get past my lack of integrity, my gossip, my anger, my hatred, my racism. Help me, God. Help us, God. Come and be part of that. Don't forget men's group tomorrow night, handmaiden's group, Wednesday night, the Revelation study. Come on, be part of what God is doing. I pray now a blessing. Let me just release a benediction over you. The book of Jude, Jesus' half-brother, had an amazing, after he told them what was very serious and 
how darkness had come into the church, he then gave this amazing testimony to the faithful. A call to remain faithful, my brothers and sisters, Jude chapter 17. My dear friends, remember that the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ told you that in the last times there would be scoffers that would come whose purpose was to satisfy their own godly desires. These people are the ones who are creating division among you. They follow their natural instincts and they do not have the Spirit of God in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to these, but do it with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. But now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Thank you all. Don't forget, if you got somebody going to the send, got to meet in the admin building in a few minutes. God bless you. Thank you.